Right, because now he was showing with David Zwirner. Only because she was showing with Zwirner increased his prices. In the NFT space, it's similar and different. Similar in a way that the moment serious NFT collectors, the big guys, the whales as they are called, are buying your stuff, everyone sees it on their profile, then the second wave of people who follow these whales buy into them, demand increases, prices go up. Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. Live Arts look behind the scenes at how the global art market really works. I'm your host, Marion Maniker. This podcast is brought to you by Live Art, the global art marketplace that puts you in control. Download the Live Art app to get all of the most relevant art market information as well as access to exclusive private sales. Or visit us at liveart.io. Magnus Resch is a serial entrepreneur. He built companies in Europe before starting his first art business in Hong Kong. Then he built the Magnus app in New York to add price transparency to the art marketplace. At the same time, Magnus has written a series of books about the business of making and selling art. The first was a study of best practices in art dealing. The second was how to become a successful artist. It spawned an online course. Now Magnus has written How to Create and Sell NFTs, a guide for all artists. It promises to be a valuable resource to anyone interested in exploring this new world. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Magnus Resch, welcome to the podcast. Marion, thank you very much for having me. So Magnus, you have previously both written in a book and taught courses, uh, I think at both Yale and Columbia for artists on how to basically run a better business as artists. And you are now publishing a new book called How to Create and Sell NFTs, a guide for all artists. So I'd actually like to hear a bit about what what artists' reactions were when you were, you know, both from your previous book and from the course. But let's start with plugging the, the book. Why is there a book for artists on NFTs? Or why do you feel there's a need for that? And what do you think artists will get from your book? I wrote this book because everyone was asking me about NFTs. Not only my non-artist friends, but a lot of artists were saying, hey, Magnus, what do you think about NFTs? After writing my book, How to Become a Successful Artist, a lot of artists reached out. It's a, it's a bestseller. We sold a lot of copies uh, of it. So um, I've always been in touch via my Instagram with artists. And they were continuously asking about NFTs. And hey, at the beginning, I didn't have the answers. I thought mm, it's all going to go away. It's a scam. It has nothing to do with the art world. And at some point, I fully immersed myself into this world. I went to all the events. I spoke to everyone. I started really at zero. I tried to understand the language. And it was hard. It was tough at the beginning because it's a totally new world. So at some point in this journey, I realized, hey, I actually gathered some knowledge. And and you do a good job in the book of breaking things down to into sort of all the component parts from, you know, basically what the hell is this to once you've actually figured out how to um, do it, really what the ultimate goal is. Uh, and, and it seems like the goal is to create a community uh, around an artist and their work. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I think it's more than that. 
because what NFTs are, it's not about, I'm not talking to uh, painters and recommend them to suddenly become now a Photoshop experts and create digital art. That's not what NFTs are about. To me, NFTs are about transparency, authenticity, and money. I believe in the future, every work that leaves an artist studio will have an NFT attached to it. So whenever this work is traded, this change of ship plus the transaction price is registered on the blockchain, transparent and accessible for everyone, something that I fought for for so long, making the art market transparent. Now, this establishes provenance as only the holder of the NFT is the true owner of the painting. In addition to establishing transparency and proof of city, artists will benefit because with every transaction, they earn royalties. So it's not about just creating a digital image and uh, creating a hype around it and selling it. It's, NFTs are about way more. I, I get everything you're saying about using NFTs to create a better infrastructure for ownership and um, resale of art. The question is, how is that going to happen? What's going to take to make that happen? I think what Nana Deccan has been doing for a while and Fairchain recently started doing are first attempts to go down exactly that route. However, having been involved as an entrepreneur in the art world for um, 17 years now, I know that everything just takes time. Artsy, a great company with a great team, it took them so long to convince galleries to upload their works in order to increase their distribution channel and sell additional works. So now this new technology comes around. Of course, not everyone is jumping at it. Everything in the art world is a marathon. It's never a sprint. So when you start doing something now on an entrepreneurial front in the art world related to NFTs and blockchain, be aware that you raise enough money that you can sustain doing what you're doing for at least five to 10 years. I don't believe we will see artworks registered on the blockchain in the next year. Um, it won't be standard that every work that leaves an artist studio is registered. That's going to happen in five to 10 years. So what happens in the meantime? I mean, you devote a section in your book to talking about how um, to create a community uh, using NFTs that changes the kind of fundamental nature of the artist's relationship with the people who own their work. Correct. I think what we're seeing, and that is also very much in line with my previous book, How to Become a Successful Artist, is that artists become more and more entrepreneurial rather than depending solely on a gallery and hoping that the gallery will promote their work, artists are doing it themselves. And that's what we see in the NFT space. Rather than giving 50% to a marketplace or to an agent, artists earn 90% of the, uh, of the sales price. And they also earn additional money in the future. And little goes to the marketplace. Why is that? Because they do all the work. They do all the marketing. They do the promotion. They reach out to collectors. They talk to collectors and so on. That's something that I foresee coming in the traditional art world as well, where the role of galleries will still be existent because we need curators of taste, but we will see more agents of artists, almost working like managers hired by artists and getting a commission more in the range of 20%. And, and have you seen that happening? Not yet. What we're talking about is when it comes to NFTs, it's so early. I mean, then, look at how many traditional artists are involved in the NFT space. There are not many. And those who have done it had, I would say, medium uh, success. No, I wanted to go back to uh, the 
traditional artists that you've been working with, teaching, interacting with uh, to sort of help them learn to be better entrepreneurs and hear a bit more about, you know, what they're asking you and what their response has been. Uh, uh, it doesn't sound like they've yet gotten an agent or the agents have filled that, that role, but, but you know, what, what are their questions for you when they either come to your uh, courses or just ask you uh, questions? I mean, is it something just as broad, like how do I make more money or do they have specific strategies that they want to talk through? Number one question is how do I become successful? That is also the most searched uh, phrase on Google. Second question is, how do I write an artist statement? Third question is, how do I price my work? And fourth question is, how do I find gallery representation? And all these questions I answer in my book, How to Become a Successful Artist and in my online class. So these are very basic questions. And as you heard, the fourth question is around gallery representation. It is still very uh, common for artists to rely on galleries. So when I say, hey, in the future, they will work more independently and galleries won't play the role that they're playing now. We're really talking not about a development that is happening right now or happening tomorrow, but we're looking into the future. What I can see is, and that's something um, that I've learned by talking and coaching so many artists, that they understood that a gallery cannot make their career, which I write about in my book, How to Become a Successful Artist, that the success of galleries depends on the network that the artist is in. Now, there are many networks in the art world. Networks consist of galleries and museums. From all these thousands of networks that exist, there's only one that leads to success. And that consists of the top galleries and the top museums. I don't need to tell you who those are, but um, I'm just going to mention them. Gagosian, Sverner, sure. Hauser & Wirth, Paste, um, Marion Goodman. And then on the museum front, Guggenheim, Met, MoMA, uh, Whitney Museum. As you can see, those nine that I just mentioned are all in New York. And number 10 is the Art Institute of Chicago. If you're not part of this one central network very early on in your career, you will most likely not make it as an artist. That's not something that I say. That's the finding of a study that took us six years where we looked at half a million artists and their price points. So what, why is the statement the second thing that they come to you? I mean, I understand how to be successful. I want to know how to do this. But why is the second thing how to write an artist statement? Is there a perception that the more than you just described it, being in the right network, being connected to the right uh, museums and galleries is a greater determinant of success. Why is it there? That's not the second thing they ask, but the second thing they ask is, how do I write a great artist statement? Which is funny, right? I, I didn't even want to include an artist statement, anything about this in my book and in my online class, magnusclass.com. But when I did the, the Google Analytics research, I found out, wow, that's incredible. That's really uh, what artists are, are interested in. So I dedicated uh, an entire chapter on how to write an artist statement. Um, Jerry Saltz um, said something really smart about it. He said, hey, artists always try to use these very complex uh, and difficult words when they write their artist statements or the, when they ask art historians to write their artist statements. And the more sophisticated it sounds, the more um, exciting and, and powerful the artist is. That is all wrong. We found out that the, the best artist statements are actually those that have a very clear message, very similar to the about us text on any company's website, nail it down and make it 
easy to understandable for everyone. So when people walk away after reading your artist statement, they keep the key message and they can talk about it to a friend of theirs. Which is funny, right? You would think that would be uh, somewhat obvious that, you know, the, the thing that sells most artists is their story, who they are, where they come from, what they're trying to say. And I understand everyone wants to sound or feel like they're, you know, more high-minded and uh, uh, abstract and academic, but that's not what um, collectors want, especially these days. They, they, they want artists who have, I said it before, a story. Do the art artists respond well to that when you explain to them, keep it simple and, and sort of uh, speak from the heart? Yes, totally. Where is that coming from? I think it's coming from two key areas. One is they read these sophisticated, highbro statements among their friends. So they think, oh, I have to do it. And at university, when at art school, they get taught, they read all these very complicated, difficult texts. Nobody at art school is teaching them how to write an artist statement, how to market your story, how to reach out to galleries, how to connect with collectors, how to price your works, which is the third element that I always get asked. How do I price my works? So um, artists are just overwhelmed. They're left alone, even when they go to college, with key questions of how to navigate their career in the art world. For example, also nobody tells you that very early on in your career, the first five to 10 exhibitions decide if you end up in the holy land, which I call the key successful central network or not. So it's really within the first five to 10 exhibitions at art schools. Most professors tell their students, hey, try out a little bit, shop around with galleries, exhibit here, exhibit there, just feel it out. That is just wrong. Another thing which I always find uh, surprising, and that's uh, related to pricing. Um, in the traditional art world, and Marion, I know uh, you and I have talked about this a lot, prices are an extremely powerful marketing tool. An artsy report showed that when the price is quoted next to the artwork, it's four times more likely that the artwork actually sells. So I always recommend artists when they upload their works on Instagram and so on to quote the price because four times conversion increase, that's when uh, Boris from, uh, from your company and every other uh, marketer uh, would jump in the sky if they could see a four times increase in conversion. So artists put up your price. It is... Um, it helps you to sell your works. Well, you know, it, that is the most interesting thing about um, art and the art world. And, and one of the reasons the auctions uh, say play such a central role. It's one of the few uh, industries, for lack of a better term, where the um, sale is its own marketing, meaning a successful sale draws a lot of interest and confirms for people or even anoints a sense of value that should have existed before that, but only after that public display convinces others that people um, you know, uh, agree with that uh, uh, value. So th this is interesting that you just brought up. Pricing is one of the places where the regular artwork and the NFTs seem to converge because in your book on NFTs, you say one of the first questions everyone asks is, how do I price my NFT? And I'm curious, one, just to talk about this question about pr pricing and how to figure out pricing, but two, how does pricing connect to what you said just earlier about getting into the right network? And does getting into the right network 
also matter with NFTs, or is that the point about NFTs is they don't you don't need to get in the right network the way you do with a gallery? To answer your last question, yes, the network is incredibly important in the NFT space as well. However, the network is very different. Galleries, museums, the traditional stakeholders in the art world, they don't exist in the NFT space. So something else takes over. That is, on the one hand, the network of the artist community. That means which other artists um, are you associated with? Laszlo Barbazi, um, my co-author in the science study I, I quoted before, he did, a, uh, uh, he did a study on Foundation, which is one of the marketplaces. And he found out that if you are introduced to the platform, it's an invite-only platform, by a successful artist, you will be successful too. He also found out that the earlier you join the platform, the more successful you are. But that's a different uh, thing. Yeah. So um, communities um, really matter um, when galleries and museums are non-existent. That also means which collectors buy you. Successful NFT artists, as well as successful artists in the traditional space, only have a few collectors, but they collect in, de in depth. While artists that have modest to low success have a broad range of collectors that only buy one piece. Oh, that's interesting. It, uh, uh, you're saying that's for NFTs or for both NFTs and, and uh, traditional art? For both. And let me add... Um, one more point to that, which I find incredibly relevant because I've worked on this for so long, price transparency. In the NFT space, every price, every transaction is transparent. You can always see, all right, this guy bought this NFT for this price at this point. Now, in the art world, in the traditional art world, that's not the case. We only, we only have price transparency in the secondary market. In the primary market, I've been fighting for this, um, as you know, with my app and a lot of other activities for so long, and I got shut down um, because the traditional art world didn't like it. Now, turns out that price transparency brings in a whole new customer group. Those people who are buying NFTs are wealthy, young individuals who have an excess of money that they like to spend. Price transparency helps them to spend it in the NFT space. If we, and that's the hypothesis, and I strongly believe in that, if we bring price transparency to the primary market in traditional art world, meaning every price transaction is transparent in galleries, more people will buy art. So galleries, artists, make your prices transparent and make sure that every price, every work that gets sold is registered somewhere where it's accessible and that can be the blockchain so i guess what i'm asking is is the pricing lead to being in the right network or does the right network require a certain price i mean the, i think what's interesting about your point about networks um with nfts is that it's much more visible the network right you can see where the uh, owners are and you can see the prices i mean uh, effectively museums and galleries are also communities. They're just mediated communities that individuals have relationships with the, that museum or ga gallery, and you may or may not see their relationship. You know, people uh, loan works, they have their names on uh, uh, donations. You know, you can see some of the connections with museums, usually with galleries, you know, maybe at the dinner uh, or at an art fair booth, you might see, you know, the connections with it. But the, they're, they're communities in the same way, just suppressed communities. So uh, I'm, I'm curious about the role pricing plays in all that, because obviously getting into a network isn't as simple as just finding the right 
price, is it? Networks make prices. And in the NFT space, it's demand that makes prices. However, demand is created by the network. So that sounded very abstract and almost theoretical. So let's, let's uh, take a look at this. Um, Oscar Murillo shows with Carlos Ishikawa in London, sells for whatever, $15,000. A couple of months later, he shows with David Swerner. Remember, I don't know which year that was, but that was the year when he transitioned to Carlos Ishikawa to David Swerner. And immediately his prices jump up five times. It was probably 2013 or 2014, right? Right, because now he was showing with David Zwirner, only because she was showing with Zwirner, increased his prices. In the NFT space, it's similar and different. Similar in a way that the moment serious NFT collectors, the big guys, the whales as they are called, are buying your stuff, everyone sees it on their profile, then the second wave of people who follow these whales buy into them, demand increases, prices go up. And is that because you said earlier that value comes when an artist has a few deep collectors as opposed to a broad group of, you know, uh, they're not shallow collectors, but individual collectors buying just what, what one work. Is that the sort of create the scarcity and demand because there's a small group that will buy multiple works and that keeps it out of the hands of, of others and so they have to pay more to get access? Yeah, totally. Scarcity is a big factor that creates the hype around NFT projects. What we see in the NFT space, for example, Bright Moments is a good example. Bright Moments is an NFT marketplace slash offline gallery. Their spaces are on, I think they have a space on Wooster Street. Uh, they have a space in London. They did a pop-up show in Berlin, in, in Venice, in LA, and so on. And what they do is they create hype around their exhibitions. There's always their scarcity, so a limited number of artworks, timing, they sell them in an auction format. And every time an artwork gets sold, everyone finds out. They even put a spotlight on the buyer and there is some music around it and so on. So the techniques that the auction world is applying, they translated it to the primary industry gallery world. But isn't the point of NFTs that there, you know, that there isn't scarcity that you can create, you know, so uh, so quickly and easily and as much as you like or or what you're saying is the whole point is to to manage your supply and demand to get to the optimal um, revenue point. Exactly. So unlimited projects um, probably exist, but most projects that are successful are always limited. So um, you obviously have the big profile picture uh, projects, PFPs called like Bored Apes and CryptoPunks, which are which I categorize as collectibles. And then you have art NFTs, usually one-on-ones or a much smaller edition size. So the idea of, hey, it's an open edition uh, because it's just a JPEG and it doesn't really cost me more uh, if I sell uh, hundred thousands or a thousands, um, doesn't is not really that strong uh, in existence in the NFT space because they realize that scarcity is a marketing tool that is needed in order to create hype around it. And now I've talked a lot about hype and hype is um, what scares the traditional art world and makes the NFT space so strange and weird and makes it look like it's all scam and so on. And I agree to a certain extent. Hype around useless projects that bring strange utilities with roadmaps that might give me something in the future are something that scares 
the traditional art world away from what NFTs are really about. And NFTs are not only about these overpriced JPEGs that have utility attached to them. NFTs are about so much more. Tell us a bit about what more it's about. I mentioned that at the beginning, NFTs are really about transparency, authenticity, and additional revenue streams for artists. That's why I wrote this book, because I wanted to introduce the art world to the idea that NFTs can help us to increase the number of collectors, can help make the art market transparent, solve all these problems that we have with provenance, um, that Christie's employees spend uh, hours, days, weeks on to find out the provenance. If we manage to have every artwork on the blockchain, we will make it much easier to uh, sell them we make it more secure, and we invite a whole new customer group to join. I, I guess the place that I'm, um, I, I'm not even so sure I'm confused or having trouble with is, it sounds like these are two different things, the NFTs that are, you know, either uh, profile pictures or, or membership in a group where you get benefits and participate in so, something, or a, a a visual idea that has scarcity because there's an NFT rather than, you know, just a reproducible JPEG. And this other thing, which is about creating a a tool for provenance, exchange, royalties, and so forth. But it sounds to me like you see them as all of of a piece. And, And is it just I'm like, you know, it's that old thing about the the blind men with the elephant. I'm just looking at one part and the other and thinking they're not connected. Or is it that it's sort of layered in di- different ways? Help someone who's who's sort of not in this world understand how these it's just unified by the technology or we're going to wait and see how it gets adopted, which of these things becomes sort of the more dominant aspect. You hit the nail on the hat, Mario. It's exactly that. When we think of NFTs, we always think of digital, you know, JPEGs that get sold and maybe have utility. NFTs are just a technology. The digital image can be an NFT that solves a lot of these things that I mentioned before, but also a physical item can have an NFT attached to it. For example, when we sell a painting right now, we get a piece of paper that's a certificate of authenticity. It's a piece of paper, a PDF that can easily be forged. In the future, and this is where NFTs come in, you buy your painting. And at the moment you buy it, the NFT, so the digital version of that PDF goes into your wallet. The beautiful part of this is that this NFT, which is the certificate of authenticity, cannot be altered. You are the owner of the original piece and that is stored in your wallet. Nobody ever can see it. Nobody can remove it from there. You cannot change it. And when you sell it again, you sell it because you're the holder of that NFT and everyone knows, all right, this is the real one. And then you send your artwork to uh, the customer um, you uh, who bought it. In that transaction, the second transaction, the artist benefits because they get royalties. So what needs to happen? You know, you're, you've spent a lot of time, you know this world very w- well. What needs to happen to make it easier for artists to do these things, to, you know, issue their own uh, NFTs? I mean, right now, I don't think it's sort of um, something, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are people who are adept at it and can figure it out, but it's certainly not an out-of-the-box 
uh, uh, process. And just as they built, you know, wallets, um, uh, you know, in the crypto world, it seems like there are a number of things that need to be built that would make your vision of this uh, take off. So I'd, I'd be curious to hear a bit more. I mean, you mentioned in the book that one of the, besides pricing, the other big thing is fees that artists ask about. And it seems like some of the variability of minting and gas fees is a hurdle for all of this? I mean, the environmental concerns and the, get, the high gas fee is really something of the past because through a new system now, the amount of energy that is used in order to transact NFTs and to mint, which means to launch NFTs, um, has reduced by 99%. What needs to happen is, having been involved in the art world for so long, I think it's just time. And it needs to have entrepreneurs who are pushing for this and have the breath to continue fighting for this. Um, and eventually, the artists will, the art world, and predominantly artists, will understand hey, this is actually beneficial because we participate in secondary market sales of our work. So there is a very clear and direct link how artists can make additional money with it if they just register their works on the blockchain. So it really happens at the source, the most powerful player in the art world, and that is the artist and in the artist studio. I believe the moment that artists start to upload certificates of authenticity onto the blockchain, the moment the work leaves the studio, then the commercial art world will adapt to it. And at some point, collectors will follow and say, hey, I'm not going to buy this work. Show me the proof of authenticity, the certificate of authenticity. Show me your wallet so I know that you are really the owner of that work. Companies are working on this. We mentioned a couple of names before, but it will just take time as everything in the art world is slow to adapt. I'm always saying this. Um, now is the time to understand and learn about it, to be ready when the mass market finds adoption to it. But I think I think that's a key point. So, so much of the conversation is usually about the secondary market and uh, other places, galleries and so forth. You're saying this really needs to happen um, at the, 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 the studio level and, and we need to replace the, the artist's day book you know, where the artist makes notations about how they mix their paint and, and what works they worked on and which were finished and, you know, everything that gives them a, a, a record of their production, if that can be turned into something that outputs to or is, is you know, written on the blockchain, uh, uh, you, you sort of start uh, from the beginning with something that's traceable, verifiable, and more importantly, portable can be passed along to the next person. Yes, correct. It happens in the uh, in the artist studio, um, but it's not really a complicated process. I agree. Right now, it's difficult to buy NFTs. It's, it's kind of difficult to mint NFTs. Um, you need to have a wallet and then what's layer one and two and all this. It will become much easier. Like artists today, they upload their images um, to their uh, website. This is the moment when they will be registered on the blockchain. I would believe that um, those platforms that are already exist to manage artist inventory will eventually incorporate this. Going beyond the artwork, I believe that every PDF, every JPEG uh, that you take, every photo that you take on your phone will eventually be an NFT because I'm interested in when I send you a PDF, who else opens that? 
NFTs will uh, be attached to the luxury watch that you buy, the car that you buy, and so on. It will become very common standard. Artists will benefit if they get involved right now. That's why I wrote this book, How to Create and Sell NFTs, because it's a great introduction to everyone who has no idea what an NFT is, what the blockchain is, what are cryptocurrencies, what's the metaverse, and how do I interact with all of this and how can I make use of this? That's why I wrote this book, in order to help people in the art world to understand what's going on and how they can use that in the future. I was tempted to, to since you raised the M word, to ask a bit about the metaverse, but I think unless you want to go there, I think I'm going to let you off the hook. <laughs> the metaverse is probably the most overused word in Web3. I think what is easiest to, to understand it is if you just replace the word metaverse with cyberspace, right? That makes it a little bit more tangible. I liked what Facebook said. Facebook said the metaverse is a set of virtual spaces where you can create and explore with other people who aren't in the same physical space as you. That makes sense. You'll be able to hang out with friends, work, play, learn, shop, create, and more. For Mark Zuckerberg, that means playing chess. For those of you who have watched that video, take a look at it. And for everyone else who's interested in that space, buy my book. It's a great introduction to the NFT space. That is the perfect place uh, to end, Magnus. Thank you so much for, uh, for that and for walking us through all of this. Thank you, Mariam. Continue your great work. Thank you for joining us at the Artelligence Podcast, edited by Colin Ketchin, who also composed the original music. For more episodes, listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to download the LiveArt app or visit us at liveart.io. Please join us for the next episode of the Artelligence Podcast. We're looking forward to it.